which I try to connect with my students always have, is that there's this expectation that you need to understand that as a person of color, and in particular a man, that you need to be able to lead, that you can only lead by exuding excellence. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. This is more than a moment. It's a movement. Hey, it's Danielle. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. Our goal is to share the stories of 500 Black educators. We will celebrate the impact and achievements, learn from the lessons and challenges, and highlight the important roles that educators play in all of our lives. I'm excited to welcome today's guest to our show. As a do now, please tell us your name, your role in education, and answer the question, why do Black educators matter? My name is Dr. William McHenry. I'm an English teacher. I believe that Black educators matter because we add, shall we say, a little flavor, a different perspective that's needed in the field of education. That's why we matter. Now, where are you from, Dr. McHenry? I'm originally from the south side of Chicago. I grew up in West Chatham, which is probably about two or three blocks, 79th in the Dan Ryan, the DL track. I did not know you were from the nine. <laughs> I am. I am. So talk to us about your experiences growing up as a black man in Chicago from the nine. And so what was your K-8 experience like? That's a good question. I went to a public school part of the time and I went to a Catholic school, private school part of the time too as well. I graduated from Park Manor, which is on Chicago South Side, 70-something, and Rhodes. But before that, I went to Our Lady of Peace, which is no longer open at all. So it was a different type of experience. I don't necessarily know that during that time, I saw a lot of Black men, definitely a lot of Black female educators at the time. So it was pretty structured. I think a couple people that were really, that stood out for me, were black men was Mr. Norris, who was the assistant principal at the time, really disciplined and really talked to students, was really empathetic, but at the same time didn't take too much mess. I think that for me, the transition happened when I went to Mendel All Boy Catholic High School, and that's where I, I think I kind of became a part of the, of the brotherhood that we call monarchs. That's where I saw a lot of change in me because it was Catholic school. We prided ourselves on being really disciplined, on being different in quotes and really structured. That's where I saw I had all types of black male teachers who were really instrumental in me deciding that I wanted to become a teacher. People like Mr. Hall, who was my IPS teacher, Mr. Adams, I was on the track team. Mr. Valentine was my chemistry teacher. There were just a loads, this plethora of black men that were educators that I thought was quite normal coming from high school that you saw so many different black male educators who not only were supportive, but really talked candidly about a responsibility that you had as a young black man and really demanded this excellence from you, not only inside, but outside the classroom as well. Come on for that demanding excellence. So what was your college experience like? Wonderful. I went to Alabama State University. My sister did too. It was probably the most 
window and Alabama State. I'm getting excited. Goosebumps, you all there can't see it. Alabama State University was not my first choice. I wanted to go to Morehouse, and my mother was very clear that she couldn't afford to send me to Morehouse. It was about maybe 16 of us from, at that time, it went co our senior year from St. Martin DeVores. I went to Mendo for three years, and they went co my senior year. That 16 of us or so went to Alabama State University. Ms. Ingram, who was a guidance counselor at the time, said that she could offer some money to some of us, and it was the best decision that I've ever made. There was the place that I believe that I really bloomed, blossomed. I saw all different types of Black folk that I can remember being on the yard, and so we call it the yard, but people don't know what that means. <laughs> Black folks land, that's what we call at HBCUs. That it was this experience where you went on the yard and you saw all different types of Black folks. People from New York, you saw people from Florida, you saw people from California, they were in all shades. It was nothing to walk on the yard and see people probate shows and just cross, particularly black Greek fraternity sorority. I also had a lot of, again, black male teachers that I thought was normal. One of the teachers, a couple of them were really instrumental in me deciding that I wanted to become an English teacher. Never forget his name, Dr. Ralph J. Bryson, Mr. Kappa Alpha Psi himself was the reason why I decided, and another Kappa actually, which is interesting, Fred Bell, that I wanted to be an English teacher. Initially, I planned on becoming an attorney, and Fred Bell, attorney, and my supervisor at the time, during an internship, told me that I needed to think about becoming a teacher. Dr. Ralph J. Bryson was just exuded excellence. I took him from the African-American lit class, a couple other classes at Alabama State, and he just had this presence. I remember us going over the talented tip and talking about DuBose and, and how, what it meant in terms of talking about classism and him talking about John Henry Clark as well. And he just, he always walked walk across the yard, had a book in his hand, bow ties, which were quite no, normal at state in the South, and just really demanded that we were prepared. You were not gonna go in his class, not prepared. So it was, this, it was a place that really molded me in my thinking. I don't think that I thought that it would as much as it has. I talk about it in my dissertation. It's where it kind of solidified my respect, not only for educators, but my passion specifically for young men of color. It, I, I can go on and on and talk about Alabama State. So your internship manager suggested that you become a teacher, but you were not in school to be an educator. So how no. did you make that jump? Okay, absolutely. I was actually a criminal justice major, and I was a minor in English. Fred Bell, my job was, at the time, I was an intern, and I was looking at some briefs, making some comments about how I thought that people were being wrongly accused or whatever, and he made some comment like, McHenry, you're a social worker, and you need to think about, he's like, I think that you'd be really good as an educator. And he suggested that, I thought that would be good kind of playing ground for me to be able to eventually become an attorney because of having the background, being able to write well and so forth. So he had suggested that. And he was an English major to himself, undergrad, before he became a lawyer. And I took him up on that. I applied to a couple of universities, decided to come back to Chicago, went to Roosevelt, started off as an MA in English, 
was not thinking about at all trying to become a teacher and decided there that I needed to get certified as well and and major in English education of sorts. And that's what happened. Graduated from Roosevelt. But he definitely was the one that it stuck out of my mind about what I needed to do. Do you find a shared identity or connectedness between yourself and some of your black students? So being a black man from the south side of Chicago, from like the the south side, of, like I'm going to keep saying like you're from the nine. Like I had no clue. But, you know, like it's a whole culture in Chicago where yeah. you're from. So, like, do you find a shared sense of identity between yourself and any of your students? And if so, what is that? shared connectedness? I think it's a, a couple fold. I think definitely starting out in education that I still am, and anybody who's ever had me, a person that believes that the culture and race should be a part of conversations or even now we engage students. I think that in my community at that time, it's probably like 30 years ago, West Chatham and even my block, it was very normal that everybody went to the selective enrollment schools or they went to private schools. So I didn't necessarily experience the disparities in that sense in terms of education because all of our parents were really deliberate about and we either going to nations, we were either going to Limbloom. So we didn't necessarily have that. We went outside, played football, did whatever on the block. So I didn't necessarily feel that. I think, however, though, what we did have, which I try to connect with my students always have, is that there's this expectation that you need to understand that as a person of color, and in particular a man, that you need to be able to lead, and you can only lead by exuding excellence. That was something that, that I've always drilled in the head, definitely for initially as my black students. I started my career at Dunbar, where kids would say all the time, oh, you come make Henry. Y'all, he locking the door. You know, I'm like, yeah, I need my homework. You need to be here on time. What I found, and again, my research topic, my dissertation, was that there was this connection between me and specifically Mexican young men, adolescents, which I think was really interesting, that it began to be cultivated. I found that not only were they leaders, but also to were young men who were honorable, just like my African-American students who respected authority, who were willing to listen, who I pushed harder, who, that because they were men, you knew that if you were a Mexican man, young man in my class, and, and black man, you had to sit in the front of the classroom, was not, you know, you sit in the back, and so forth. So definitely that connection. I think that I understand being marginalized throughout my graduate program at Roosevelt. I oftentimes was faced with some, some white students believing that they were shocked that I knew what I knew in terms of my subject area, and which was definitely offensive. And I found that I was, I, I talk about that quite frequently, even with my students now, about how it's not necessarily who you know all the time people say that, but it's about what you know, because your excellence typically will shine regardless of, of who you are. And how I had to prove a lot of times in classrooms uh, during the graduate program at Roosevelt about, like, really, did you know that? I had a specific experience, because I always talk about it, was my first class at Roosevelt. It was a comparative study with Dostoevsky and Invisible Man. And the young lady made a comment like, oh, my gosh, well, like, you, you really know that? And she was really shocked that I had read Invisible Man 
had notes from the underground or whatever. And it was just like, yeah, I'll never forget that. It was a teacher, it was Norman Lear, first class at Roosevelt. So yeah, so I definitely understand, I connect to marginalization and lowered expectations for us because, you know, we're people of color, especially black men. Absolutely, I identify. So let's talk about marginalization and low expectations. What is the state of education in Black America, and how did we get here? Try to condense that answer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. I think that the problem is there is this expectation that Black and white systems tend to believe that the standard of excellence is white to begin with. So I think that for me, that that's problematic. And I think that if you grow up believing that in order to be excellent, you have to be white or white-like, then there's nothing in terms of how you're going to construct it that's going to ever validate what it means to be black. That, 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 that to me is, is just huge. I didn't grow up at all believing at all that I thought that white was superior. I, I saw people, my family, get up and go to work every morning. I saw people who went to you know, parochial private schools who were going to college. I talked about it in my dissertation too. There was kind of this Wakanda feel that I, you know, and talked about Zora Neale Hurston, you know, like I, you know, how it feels to be called with me. Like I, I, I didn't know what that meant, that somehow that to be black was somehow inferior. That, that, that's the first thing. I think the other thing too is Black, brown, white educators, people don't believe that you can hold students to expectations. They just don't believe that. I think that the reason that I've been successful in my life is because somebody drew a line really clearly about that this is what needs to happen. But I also had people who loved on me and supported me to be able to help me get there, right? I was not the best student in high school, not by any means, but I knew very clearly that there was an expectation that I needed to meet. And if I didn't meet it, then there were some consequences for it. I believe that black boys can't achieve. I think also, too, that obviously systematic, systemic racism and what it looks like to believe that somehow that you need to engage what you do, people culturally competent way, but it doesn't mean in any way that you need to lessen the standard. So I think that we've gotten here because people are not really willing to engage and do the work that's needed to be able to educate students. The same way that we talk about IEPs and special ed services for diverse learners. We need to understand that not everybody is some cookie cutter type of student and that not all black and brown people look the same, act the same, you know. So we've gotten here because again, which I think is just huge, that white is just not superior. It's not, it's not a standard of excellence. I grew up seeing the standard of excellence. I went to Alabama State and saw a standard of excellence. So I don't think that, you know, to be white somehow, ah, you know, I've made it to the promised land. So I think that that, that needs to be ingrained and be taught and kids need to feel that. This is just one of many stories and we want to keep the conversation going. Follow us on Instagram at blackeducators.matter. Visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.org. Help build the movement by joining our Patreon. Now, let's get back to our Project 500 podcast.
I always say one of my goals with Black Educators Matter is to make excellence equitable. And it's right along with everything that you just said. You can see excellence across all cultures in everybody. White does not equal excellence. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. But they believe it. Yeah. And, and we've been conditioned to believe it in the history books and the curriculum teach us that that is what the standard of excellence is. But more on that in a minute. I, I want to back it up to you saying that you were not the best high school student. I'm trying to understand how did you go from not being the best high school student to now going to Alabama State and being so influenced by all of these men who were exuding excellence to now coming to Chicago to enroll in a graduate program where people look at you like you crazy to being Dr. William McHenry, who is an educator pouring into future generations. How did you go from not being a good student to now being in the classroom exuding excellence in front of other students? How did you do that? And why were you not a good student? Ah, uh, that's a good question. She might be trying to get deep. Okay, then. <laughs> so... I think that I, so, so let me say this, I always knew that I was going to go to college, first of all. That, that was never an option. Like, I, I knew that that was going to happen. I think that there were some issues. I had a quick temper. I was a person in high school that, that fought a lot, that I was quick to, you say something to me, I need, I need to say something back. I was the person, even in grammar school, jumping over desks and doing all types of stuff, whatever. Did well academically, but had a quick mouth, and I will knock you in your jaw, like, sincerely. Like, it was just like, I'm not going. I think the, the change happened in that the environment, like, I need to, like, bottle it, whatever, at Alabama State. Not saying that Mendel was not that, because it, it, it was. But it, was a, it was a different way. Alabama State was such a place... Now we had our issues, registration, financial aid, and all this other stuff. You know, the, the stereotypes are true. But, you know, <laughs> that, 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 that happened. It really did. Like, oh, I, why did it take two days to register? So all that did happen. But it was such a place, though, that you were able to see this bevy of black folks who were doing it, who came from all across the land. And you just were inundated with all of this. And you had these black men, again, um, who just were not playing, black men and women, who just were not playing. I remember, oh, I can just talk, I'm even getting goosebumps, I really am. I can remember a couple of things that were just huge for me. Every year, because I had planned on being an attorney, we, I was part of what's called the Pre-Law Society. And we had to, we did this mock trial on campus. And I was one of the attorneys. I always lost. I did. Never won. But it, it was like this thing that I thought I was like, you know, Perry Mason or somebody with a black character. But anyway, Denzel somebody. Anyway, I prepared for it. And I never won. But the point, though, was was that I felt like I was a part of something that, that was a part of some form of excellence. And I had to read case law and go through we had this, this this trial, whatever, and people would come back with a decision and stuff like that. So that was huge for me because I learned how to be prepared for some things, stayed up at night, whatever, had a partner to be able to do something with because I wanted to win. That was one. A couple more. Dr. Bryson was just huge. He really was. 
I can remember coming back from this place called Stagger Lee's. We used to go in, a friend of mine, she had this podcast, she loved to crack up. We used to go to Happy Hour. And it was a place where they, you were able to get these cheap cocktails, whatever. They had this big, huge bevy of food. And I would always, not always, a couple times be late for Dr. Bryson's class. And Dr. Bryson was a killer about embarrassing you and telling you, Mr. McHenry, you do know this is an academic institution, don't you? And would like ask you, put you on, on blast about what the reading was and engaging you, but you knew you had to be prepared before he, when he called on you. That was another one. I will also say too that there were some women, I don't even remember the woman's name, that I remember she was a Delta. I remember she in our African-American lit class and we had to say famous black quotes as a form of attendance. And we could never use the same one within the same week or something, whatever. And she knew them in her head. So she could call your name and she'd be like, okay, he would say something like, I'm not tragically colored, blah, blah, whatever. And that was a way. So all those things were just in this environment that you really knew that you were in this place about you were, you were trying to be, or the goal was to be excellent. It was just nothing else at, at all. So I just think that it was just such a place that I felt nurtured, that people supported me, where I went to labs because I didn't do well in math at all. It, it, it just, the environment was, was just wonderful. It really was. And it poured into you and clearly yeah. put you on yeah. a on a different path because you thought you was about to be in that courtroom like Matlock, and now you out here. I did. I did. Dr. McHenry in the room. I did. I did. I really did. People are still shocked to this day. Like, we just knew you were going to be an attorney. But anyway, yeah. (laughs) I guess I'm, I'm just so in awe because I've never heard you talk about your HBCU experience like that. And it really does. It, it is palpable. Like the excitement that you get when you talk about it. And I just kind of wrote, like, it's amazing to witness that you as a black man recognize that you were not a good student and you grew into an educator. But I want to ask the grace that those educators extended to you in order to see past your temper and see past any self barriers you were putting up. Do you find yourself extending that grace to your students? as they struggle or as they don't reach their full potential or as they are working through whatever challenges, attitudes, barriers they have, how do you extend that grace instead of just kind of toss them to the side or define them or label them? I typically like, as some people say, the babies because I, I, I was that kid. And the kids with, with a sharp wit and a sharp tongue, I was that kid. I'm thinking about a couple of people that were like that. There was a student of mine now. She she sells real estate. I'm going to call your name, baby, right now. Her name is Foster Wilson. And her ex-boyfriend, Kyle Lee Dunbar. Foster would love to fight. And she she gets out of me telling the story. Because I'll never forget, she wanted to fight outside of my classroom my first year, I think, at, at Dunbar. First or second year. And I can remember at that time, whatever, they were fighting just like, girl, it's like a girl. You got to scuff up my shoes, like, stop playing. You out here, you know, and out here fighting or whatever. She was so, like, awful, would, would snap off and tell somebody, like, I will blah, 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 whatever with you. But she she was a smart kid. She really was. But she she didn't play any games, and she wanted to do all that talking, and she was going to pop somebody. And I remember having conversations with her 
like, boss, I'm not playing with you. You better get yourself together and get this together, whatever. And I would have, would work with her and still keep in contact with her. And Kyle, you know, was the same way too. I think that, and even a young lady now who's PhD, who have actually helped me start the other Grammys at Jones, Dr. Sally Numa, that she didn't want to be a leader at Jones when we started the African American Club. I was like, girl, you're doing this. That I think that I tend to like personality a lot because I think that a lot of times it's about your work ethic and it's about the attitude up here. So if I can engage you and show you how it's possible that, that you can do it, that, you know, small steps, you know, we're doing everything, then that typically works for me. It has worked. So I think that when I think about those three, and obviously there are both loads more, that typically the ones that have the attitude a little bit are the ones I try to engage because they, they, I can see all the energy can be molded or whatever. It'll always work, but for the most part, it, it has. There was another educator and she was talking about the over-enrollment or over-assignment of black boys, particularly to special education programs. And she said she felt like it's a misreading of energy. So to hear you say that it's all of the energy and it, you know, like it's, it's amazing the way that some educators can see through these behaviors to see the light inside the student. Whereas other adults would just be like, no, you're misbehaving. The rules are X. You broke the rule. Bye. But for other adults. But I think the kids that I've had for the most part were kids who were willing to listen to me. And I was really candid about what was going on. I don't care about what you're doing in anybody else's classroom, but in here, you want to like you have some sense. This is what we're going to do. And they typically have, have followed. They really have. How many years have you been teaching now? I started teaching in 2000. Oh, my God. 20 years. Yes. Years. So why, as you reflect on your 20 years as an educator, why do black men in education matter? Ooh, wow. We offer something that I don't think that, that many people do. We're leaders, I think, naturally, genetically, intuitively. I think that we are educators who are able to be kind of chameleons on, on, on some level. We are supporters as well. I think that a black educator in comparison to others, that we're able to understand, we understand not only what it means to be marginalized, but be able to understand how to support those people, whoever they are, in a way that, that others can't. Because we empathize and understand that, but at the same time, have a level of, of excellence. One of the reasons that I created the other Grammys at Jones was because of my understanding of, at that time, of minorities. Because I was able to understand about the correlations between who I am as a black man and other people. The reason why I teach Bell Hooks and Audre Lorde, you know, and all these other different people is because I understand that it's necessary to support young ladies and young women of color in particular in their journey. And when you, you talk to former students of mine, they're like, oh, here you go again, talking about this feminism, you know, womanism, you know, type of things, whatever. So I think that we offer all of that. We really do. We're not just, you know, kind of monolithic in our thinking and, you know, say this nonsense, I don't see color or anything of that nature or whatever. Yes. 
So usually as I wrap up episodes, I always ask my guests if there are any black educators that they would like to thank. But before I ask you that question, number one, because you already answered it, you walked us through quite a few educators that poured into you during your time at uh, ASU. But I would like to thank you for sharing your creativity when we worked together at Young Women's Leadership Charter School, I remember that you had that event. You mentioned the other Grammys at Jones, but what was the yes. program that you designed for our girls? It was some, yeah, with all the different musical, it was Black History. It was. It was kind of a spinoff of that, but what we did was that we did it, because for those of you out there in neighborhood land, uh, Young Women's was an all-girl, or was an all-girl uh, charter school. So what we did was that we were really deliberate about highlighting women and them being able to use song and music or whatever to be able to kind of celebrate that, which was kind of a spinoff of the other Grammys. So we did that in part. If I remember correctly, I remember them using poetry, using music and so forth to be able to do that. So the other Grammys is, was a way, was what I created at Jones. And at Young Women's, I did a spinoff of that. Well, we made it really political for these young women to have a voice about who they were as young women of color. But you do it during song, dance, poetry, and so forth. Yeah. It's amazing to have a black man educator that claps for the, the boys, but also that claps and uplifts the girls. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Young Women's was a place for me, again, talking about spaces or whatever, that I remember having kind of that autonomy to do those things, that it was a place where the young women, again, there was a standard, you know, it's what we're going to do. You know, McHenry goes again, oh my gosh, I got to do this, whatever. But it was a standard and with support or whatever, they gave me attitude too as well. But at the same time, I didn't care about that. It's what we need to do and let's get it done. So, yeah. Yeah, man, that, that was amazing. <laughs> and it's just again, speaks to the influence that you have had over the city of Chicago and the students that you've served over these past 20 years. So do you have any educators? You've mentioned many of them already, but anybody specifically that you would like to thank? Ooh, I do. So I've talked about all the ones I had in college, but I want to talk about the ones that I've experienced who were really supportive of me and continued me helping me or supporting me in my journey and me becoming better. Denise Fields and Erica Whitehead were the ones that hired me. I thought that both of them were really dynamic. Denise was a no holds bar, kind of like, this is what we go, this is what we're gonna do. She loved on you, kind of a McHenry-esque, but at the same time, there was a standard like, we're doing this, right? And it was, um, I remember her telling me at the time I was gonna become department chair. That was not something I wanted to do at all. And she's like, you doing it. Um, and again, so I would say Denise and Erica Whitehead here, I'm thinking about other black educators. Brenda Patton, who is your sore part, I think she's a part of Side New. And she was one in my infancy stages with special ed that used to kind of tell me about how to differentiate lessons and about what I could do and what I couldn't do as a teacher and really fed into me again about what, what I could do. One more, I'm probably sure that I'm missing a whole bunch. I would say Elizabeth Martis, Milton Belcher, who was at Alabama State, Dr. Stone, Morehouse man, 
used to walk across the yard with his cane, bad hat, bow ties. He taught history and just was, you know, yeah. I was overwhelmed with black educators, obviously, at, H- at Alabama State. I go on and on. Yeah. Man, you are a great recruiter for the HBCU. <laughs> you are a fantastic recruiter for the HBCU. It was a wonderful time. It really was. I don't think I, and, and again, I don't necessarily know that I would have thought that at the time, but it really was. It really was. It changed my life. It really did. Well, thank you for coming on the show and walking us through your educational journey, reflecting on these 20 amazing years that you've been you. in the classroom, because it is amazing to me that you didn't set out on this path. If you would have told me not. that you started out declared as an education major, I would have believed you. If you had told me that you always knew you were going to support black boys, brown boys, and black girls and empower these students to find their excellence and exude excellence, I would have believed you. But to know that, like, <laughs> your path brought you here? It did. It really did. It was because of black male educators that I decided to do it. Yes. Ooh, yes. Well, thank you, Mr. Dr. McHenry. Excuse me very much. You earned that <laughs> doctor, okay? So thank you for coming on the show and walking us through everything. And just, again, everything that you have done, it was, it is, and it always will be worth it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Black Educators Matter. Are you ready to share your story? Visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.org to sign up. Remember, make excellence equitable and thank a black teacher today.